Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge podcast. This week, I catch up with Karen Lauritsen, Idaho's 2023 Teacher of the Year, and a frequent guest on the show. Lauritsen, however, no longer lives in Idaho or teaches K-12. Instead, she's a professor in the education department at Illinois' Millican University. Lauritsen made national news this summer when the Boston Globe ran a story about how politics drove her out of the state. The story was then picked up by media outlets across the country, including Education Week and the Chicago Tribune. In this episode, Lauritsen tells us more about her decision to leave Idaho and a profession she loved. All right, so Karen, catch us up. Tell us where you are now and what you're doing. Well, I am an assistant professor in the education department at Millican University, uh, which is in Decatur, Illinois. And I am teaching um, a pretty wide variety of, of courses. But what's really exciting about it is that I am helping develop our next generation of educators, which is great. So I'm working with, uh, you know, everywhere from freshmen to seniors, and I'm helping instill upon them like all of the great things um, that make a teacher. And I'm like giving them a ton of skills and a ton of know-how to make them super prepared and excited to, to join the classroom. Mm-hmm. So you've left teaching K-12, but you really are still teaching and really mired in education and the future for school kids, just in a little bit of a different way. So I wanted to backtrack a little bit and talk about this summer when things kind of changed. By that point, I think you'd accepted your job. You were in Illinois um, and you spoke out about why you left Idaho after being named the 2023 Teacher of the Year. And your story on why you left made national news. It started with an article, I believe, in the Boston Globe that ran on August 10th. It was called Teacher of the Year was Supposed to be an Honor, Then Politics Intervened. It featured an interview with you. There were also maybe three or four other Teachers of the Year who were interviewed. Um, And in that article, you just kind of go into the reasons for leaving. So I want to talk about that. But first, can you tell us the backstory behind that article, how a reporter in Boston found out about your story and contacted you and why you decided to be interviewed and participate? Yeah. Um, Well, I think the reason that this article kind of came to be was because um, my story is not unique. And many educators who have been named uh, Teacher of the Year have had um, these sorts of situations happen to them where after they have been named Teacher of the Year in their respective states, um, that there's been some negative press that has come out about them or there has been some different individuals or groups within their states who have come out and said that they shouldn't have been named uh, Teacher of the Year, that they don't represent the values of their state, that, um, you know, that they are liberal indoctrinators and they have no business teaching and that it, it made life harder for these teachers. And, you know, it kind of rang, you know, true for quite a few of us. And so um, basically, um, you know, it it kind of came out that, you know, the Boston Globe um, was kind of seeing this happen to a couple teachers and and reached out to 
um, a few of us and then, you know, said like, well, is your story unique? Um, is this something that just happened to you? And then uh, quickly um, the the journalist from the article realized that it wasn't unique and reached out to a few more of us. And, um, you know, they asked if I, I wanted to participate and it was kind of a, a tough decision because, um, you know, it's it's always hard to to talk about you know, things that are negative. I, I don't like to, to spread negativity, but I also did want to, to really give a voice to what's happening in education right now. And what I believe is happening in that educators are, are being demonized a lot of times as indoctrinators, and also our expertise is, is not being valued or respected. And I believe that all of those things together are a reason or part of the reason um, why educators are leaving the profession um, in droves. And I think that it's something that we, we can really work on and that we can do better, um, but we have to first give a voice to it. Mm -hmm. So after that article, um, what happened? Well, before we get into that, let's talk about what you discuss in the article. What happened after you were named Teacher of the Year in Idaho, and what made you leave the state and the K-12 teaching profession? Well, I, you know, as, as you know, I was working as I was teaching full-time on my PhD. And kind of my, my end goal was to be a professor, but I was really in no hurry. Um, it, I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do and it was a good time to do it, but it didn't necessarily mean that I had to be a professor right away. I loved being a teacher, you know, teaching fourth grade. I absolutely adored it. And I was really in no rush to leave the classroom and I could have continued being a, you know, K through five educator for another like decade, like easily. I absolutely loved what I did. And, you know, being named Idaho Teacher of the Year was so exciting and sharing it with my students was fantastic. And when people started to Google my name, little friends and family and, you know, people um, that I knew, they started to say, um, oh my gosh, like I saw this like great spokesman review article about you, but did you also see this? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And then they would say, oh, well, there's this article um, and they say that like, oh, this teacher is, you know, such a horrible person. She goes to pride and she, you know, supports Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, she's definitely teaching these things in her classroom and that she is indoctrinating um, the students in her classroom to believe all of these things. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so I looked at these articles and the article said, um, you know, Karen Lauritsen does not, you know, exhibit the values that we want to see in the Idaho Teacher of the Year. And that the last few Idaho Teachers of the Year are all basically liberal pieces of trash and that they have no business teaching at all, let alone being celebrated. And that really sung. And, um, it, it didn't sting because people were calling me names. I mean, there's bullies everywhere. We tell kids about that. Um, but what, what hurt was that people were saying that I was harming children. And I've devoted my entire life 
my entire career, like most of my waking hours for like two decades to doing what's best for kids. And to be, you know, told by people that that's what, ha what, what happens when you Google my name is that you, you read things about that what I'm doing in the classroom is, is hurting kids. That was not okay. And when I talked to people about it um, in my community, they just said, you know, it doesn't matter, just ignore it. And I tried to do that for a while. But what started to happen was within my classroom, I could kind of tell by what some parents were saying, not all, um, that I was wondering if they were reading it too. Because all of a sudden I started to get questioned by some parents about things that I was teaching in my classroom. Like, are you teaching about sexual topics in your classroom? Or have you introduced this to my child? And I thought these parents knew me very well. Um, by then I had taught this class for two years. I was like, of course not. I would never do that. Like, that is not appropriate. Um, and, you know, and also, um, you know, even my, my local legislator um, wouldn't meet with me. When I went to, you know, I even, you know, traveled to Boise to, to meet with local legislators and, you know, like my representative wouldn't meet with me. And to me, I was like, what are people thinking about me that, you know, is, is making them not want, you know, not trust me or think that it's, that meeting with me would be a negative thing. Um, so I was kind of wondering like if people were reading this. Um, and then, you know, it just, I, I started to realize that in order to be the type of teacher that I want to be, which means that a teacher who um, feels that my expertise is valuable and that I am a professional and I know what's best for kids in my classroom, um, Idaho is not a place where I can really, really do that. Mm -hmm. So I want to backtrack to a couple things here. So when you were seeing about yourself, like Karen supports um, Pride or Black Lives Matter, and you weren't like reacting to say, no, you don't support those things. You were reacting to say, I support those things and I don't harm children, right? Yeah, I, I'm unapologetic that in mm -hmm. my personal life, mm -hmm. I can't support those things. Mm -hmm. I am an individual and I am a, a whole person. And I, I have, you know, many facets of my, my person, you know, and as a teacher, I have the professional understanding of what is appropriate to teach fourth graders. Mm -hmm. And I completely understand that introducing them to sexual topics or charged racial matters is not something that I need to do at the in the fourth grade classroom i mean there are things that if kids have questions of me you know like for example like when you're teaching idaho history there's questions about what happened historically between native american populations and settlers those topics come up and we address them but within the context of curriculum mm -hmm. i am not bringing anything up to students mm -hmm. based on my own personal beliefs right and you mentioned that you knew this group of students really well because you had done what's called looping 
And so in case listeners don't know what that means, that's where you stay with a group of students for multiple years in a row. So instead of teaching them like second grade and they move on to a new third grade teacher, you might be their second, third, and fourth grade teacher. So with this group of kids, was it your, they had been with you since second grade or third grade? Third. Okay, so you'd already had a full year with these kids, knew them well, knew their parents well. Did any issues come up about your teaching during that time period? Um, in third grade, no. Okay. Um, I really had no parents question my teaching or um, any of the curriculum matters that I was teaching in the classroom. It only happened after I was named Teacher of the Year. Mm-hmm. And they started to see these articles online, and um, even though you already had strong relationships, those started to unravel a little bit, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it got to a point where you felt like you couldn't be the teacher that you wanted to be in Idaho because of that, and so you left the state. So if there's other teachers like you that left the profession or left the state because of this kind of political climate, what impact could that potentially have on students? Well, what I worry about in Idaho is that Idaho might lose really qualified and passionate educators because of the political climate. Um, And also because of some of, you know, I look at the laws that are happening in Florida about education and teachers are, are leaving Florida like in droves and they're going to states where they feel more welcome. And I, I worry um, if those types of laws would also start to be enacted in a place like, like Idaho. Um, I, I want teachers you know, to really understand that they are, are experts and teachers go through so much professional development and they do so much to understand um, what is best for students. And I, I really know that in Idaho, parental choice is huge. Um, you know, the, the State Board of Education is, uh, you know, a gigantic proponent of parent, parental rights and parent choice. Um, and I get it. I really do. I'm a parent myself. And I know in my heart that parents want what's best for their kids. But what I was starting to also notice as an educator um, my last year of teaching was that parents were starting to um, more frequently opt students out of lessons. And I would like to talk about that for just a moment in that um, this is kind of happening on, you know, a national scale in that um, in some states and in some areas, parents are requesting teachers' lesson plans weeks in advance so that they can look and see, oh, what is the teacher teaching? I don't like that. I'm going to opt my student out of that lesson. And it's becoming um, some sort of an a la carte um, kind of vision of education. And, you know, some people say, well, like, well, that's great. That's parent choice. You know, parents get to choose what's best for their kids. Um, but I'd also like to, to kind of add um, some sort of context to that. And I'd like people to think about when a child is taken out of a classroom, let's say for my classroom, I had students who were taken out for lessons about the United Nations or lessons about social emotional learning. 
when a child is taken out of the classroom for those types of lessons, some of the trust between that child and the teacher um, is going to be eroded. And I think that's a byproduct of that choice. Um, I don't know if parents always see that as something that's, that, that could occur. And in that child's mind, that child might think, what is that teacher teaching that is so damaging or scary to me that I need to be removed from the classroom? And I really believe that one of the things that, you know, um, educational researchers such as John Hattie have found that really helps with students and, and how they learn at school is that they trust their teachers, that they see that their teachers have efficacy, that they trust that their teachers um, know what they're doing. Um, and when that starts to be broken down and the students start to think about their teachers and say, I don't know if I can trust them. I don't know if what they're doing is right because my parents say it's not and I have to be removed. Um, it starts to erode that trust and students start to question everything a teacher does. And then I want you to also think about what if other students see that student removed from the classroom? Then they say, wait a minute, if, if, if he or she has to leave the classroom, is what I'm learning about scary for me too? Should I be here? And I, I just want people to think about um, when we're having students removed from the classroom, um, some of, uh, you know, some of the, you know, problems that might occur from that choice. So the lessons you mentioned that parents opted out of them, one of them was on social emotional learning. And that's one of those buzzword terms today that I think cause a lot of emotions, but maybe people don't always know exactly what it is. So could you tell us or give us an example of what that lesson of yours entailed? Yeah, um, those a lot of those lessons were about how to stay safe online and, you know, how to not give out personal information about yourself mm -hmm. um, in passwords or in your like usernames online. Um, I don't see how that would be mm -hmm. information that any kid shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then some of the social emotional learning lessons that we had were um, how to, you know, tell the teacher if somebody's bullying you mm -hmm. and what bullying is versus um, if somebody's mean to you one time mm -hmm. and you know, how to differentiate between that. So I really I don't see how any of those lessons would not be appropriate for a fourth grader. Mm -hmm. And then with the United Nations lesson, will you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, what we were talking about is um, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And so basically it's, you know, how are we helping our world and how is, um, you know, the, the nations and other nations around the world working together to help our planet um, be more sustainable? And how are we working together to help our neighbors around the world um, just thrive? And so some of the things we talked about is, you know, how do we maintain access to clean water? How do we do that here in the United States as well as around the world? Um, how do we take care of our oceans? Um, how do we make sure that around the world, um, both boys and girls um, have access to school? Um, how do we make sure that we take care of animal species? 
Um, how do we make sure that when we engineer new buildings, we're doing so in a sustainable way? Um, and so all of those, you know, um, goals um, are how to kind of help students start to think outside of just being Idahoans or just being Americans and kind of understand that there are other countries in the world who want the entire planet to succeed. Mm -hmm. And how do we work together to do that? And so, you know, without asking me what I was teaching, they just said, we don't like the United Nations. My kid can't participate in any of that. And what I would like as an educator is for parents to ask questions and maybe to get a better idea of the reasoning behind why as a seasoned educator, I feel that these are good things for students to understand. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, I really feel that many parents act out of a sense of fear. And I don't believe that teachers should be feared. I think that parents and teachers should work together because I feel that both of us have students' best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. So before we started recording, you were telling me about how you had been wanting to use scholastic news in the classroom, and you were told that that wasn't okay. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was kind of a moment where, um, you know, I, I realized that um, teaching in Idaho was <laughs> something that was going to be challenging for me. Um, I'd always understood that my my community was fairly conservative, um, you know, but it was always something that I could kind of deal with. But, you know, where I was teaching in Idaho, we did not have in third grade a social studies curriculum. So I always teach what I'm supposed to teach. You know, for example, in fourth grade, we did have an adopted, you know, social studies curriculum and I used it, you know, with fidelity. But in the third grade, we didn't. And so I asked if I could use Scholastic News and I was told that I couldn't because it was too woke. And I had a hard time and I struggled with what that meant. Um, what, what about Scholastic News would make the parents in my community upset? And I had a really hard time with that because you know, I could come up with things that parents could be upset with, maybe learning about other holidays around the world, um, or, you know, the, the fact that the United States, it, you know, has adopted um, some, some new holidays, such as maybe Juneteenth, or, you know, Indigenous Peoples Day. And um, some parents might not want to read about that. But you know, I also feel that it's, you know, it's my job as a teacher to be honest and truthful about that um, these things exist. <laughs> this is the country that we're living in and that, you know, students need information and that that's my job to deliver that, you know, in an unbiased way. And when I'm accused as a teacher of being biased, <laughs> when really I want to be unbiased and give students actual information. And that's what Scholastic News does, is to give students information about topics. And I told I can't do that. Um, that's what, something that was really difficult. Mm -hmm. And that's something that educators always want to do, is to provide, you know, windows and mirrors to the experiences that students have. Mirrors that reflect 
the lives that they lead and windows to those that they don't so that they understand that there's people who are not like them, you know, because where I was living in Idaho, they did not see a lot of people who were not like them. And so they absolutely need windows to the rest of the United States and the rest of the world. But also they do need to see some mirrors that reflect the people who they are. And when I'm not allowed to do that, and I'm only allowed to you know, have materials in my classroom that reflect the exact community I live in, that's really limiting. And I feel that, that as a teacher, that's absolutely not best practice. Mm-hmm. And you had said that you had pushed back when you were told you couldn't use Scholastic News because it was too woke. You asked what was woke about it, and you were just kind of told, well, we just don't want to risk any parent complaints, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's the thing is that, you know, I, I feel that when we're told that you know, we, we just have to not hear parent complaints. It, it robs educators of the opportunity to educate parents. And that's what teachers should do. Our entire lives are devoted to educating people. And I feel that our job is not only to educate our students, but it's also to educate parents about why what we're teaching is important. And so when we completely like shut off information from our communities, we not only rob students of information, um, we rob our families of that as well, of understanding why learning about new things is important. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're really encouraging conversations to take place between patrons and parents who might be concerned and the teacher. Like before rushing to just opting out of the lesson or shutting it down, say, you know, I, I feel uncomfortable or worried about this because... Can you explain to me how and why you're teaching it? And maybe that would be a better solution. I definitely think so. Um, I think it would also um, help give the teacher an opportunity to share the teacher's expertise and reasoning behind their decision-making process. Um, I think that that's really important for the teacher to be able to do that. And I think that when the teacher has the opportunity to do that, um, it really helps the parents understand what's going on in the classroom. And I think that that's something that that should happen. Mm -hmm. And in your case, you were kind of directly censored, but you mentioned that you know of other teachers who kind of self-censor just because they are afraid of backlash or fatigued, you know? So can you speak to that a little bit, like self-censorship in the classroom? Yeah, I absolutely know. Um, most teachers that I have taught with, they, they simply just don't teach things that could possibly be, um, you know, challenged in the classroom or any topics that are, you know, could be perceived as controversial because, you know, they've all got, you know, an angry email from a parent. And as a teacher, when you're dealing with more than 30 kids in a fourth grade classroom and you're already trying to differentiate instruction and you have so much to do and your job is so challenging, you don't want just one more thing that breaks your heart. I'll be completely honest. And so for a lot of teachers, it's just a really easy choice. Um, 
But for me, as a teacher who had taught, you know, for, for 20 years, um, you know, I, I, I made that choice my first, you know, couple years teaching because, you know, I, I just felt like it was what I was supposed to do. I taught about, you know, Christopher Columbus, my first year's teaching, because that's what parents wanted. That's what I was supposed to do. And then as I grew as an educator, I realized that's not what was best for kids. And I, I grew able to advocate for myself a little bit better as an educator. Um, but it's hard to do. It really is. And um, it's something that I, I feel that as a teacher um, can, can be can be difficult. But I really want to encourage teachers to really think about what's what's best for kids. And I, I, I really know that that's hard. Um, but I really encourage teachers to, to try. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I wanted to bring up something else that you said in an interview with Edweek. You mentioned how you were seeing some troubling things in your community of Post Falls. You saw some people holding up a sign that said, stop white replacement. You saw signs with maps of the United States that said conquered, not stolen. And you describe how your son saw those things and said to you, we have to get out of here. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like to be a mom in that moment and how it felt to be a teacher in that community? Yeah, my son was, you know, um, you know, 14 at the time. And that's a really impressionable age. And, you know, we would attend, um, you know, pride events together and stuff like that. Um, and there would be people with, you know, bandanas over their face holding, you know, semi-automatic weapons um, glaring at us. And, you know, my son was like, what is happening here? You know, and he's like, like, are, do these people want to shoot us? And, you know, it, it was really challenging um, sometimes to be a mom in Coeur d'Alene and Post Falls, um, just because you would see things like that quite a bit. And um, I, I got used to it. And um, I can say that here living in Illinois, I don't see things like that ever, like literally ever. I've never seen a sign like that. And I've, and I've been here for months. Um, but I know that when I lived in Idaho, um, I would see on the overpass signs like that every few weeks. And those things are hard to explain to your child. And, you know, he, he was having a tougher time with it because, um, you know, he would ask me questions like, why is nobody doing anything? Like, why is that okay? Like, you know, people would drive by those people and honk and, you know, wave outside of their cars and stuff like that instead of stopping them. And um, that really started to bother me. And when I would talk to people about it in my community, they would say, yeah, just ignore it. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like for a really long time in Idaho, um, we really fought the good fight. And I've had a lot of people accuse me of abandoning Idaho and quitting. Um, but I felt like I did not do that because when I was in Idaho, I advocated for a really long time. 
And um, that's kind of something too that, you know, I was kind of surprised to hear, like, you know, the governor told um, a newspaper in Southern Idaho that um, he was surprised that I had all of the all of these issues because none of the other Idaho teachers of the year have had have had these issues, um, and you know he's also said that all of the other teachers of the year were really great advocates for education, um, and I was really surprised to hear um, Governor Little say that because I've met Governor Little about six times, <laughs> although he said we had never met, and um, I believe that a lot of this. Uh, blowback that happened was because I was an advocate for education. And when I lived in Post Falls, I worked so hard for education funding because our levy failed. And that I worked tooth and nail every weekend with, you know, dropping literature on doors and fighting for, you know, the schools that our students deserved. And I also worked very hard to keep people off of our school board who were anti-public education. And I believe that it was some of those people who were writing the articles. And so um, I really feel that I did fight quite a bit, but when you travel to other places, like for example, living here now, um, my son is a freshman here in a public high school here in Decatur. And one of the classes that he's taking as a freshman is called Freshman Diversity Seminar. And the class that he's taking is about diversity within the school and how everyone has differences that are to be, um, you know, celebrated and that um, to look about how you can look for people's differences, but also our similarities and to see um, the benefits of diversity in our community. And the second that I heard that he was taking that class, I was just floored. I thought about, oh my gosh, like if this class was taught in one of our schools in Northern Idaho, how many students would be opted out of that class? You know, like immediately without even reading what it was about, just on the name alone. And I was just amazed at, at the difference. Um, in how diversity is treated um, in, in a place like Illinois. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you left Idaho because it was, you felt like you couldn't teach the way that you should teach here, but also because you wanted your son to have a different education and a different experience growing up. Um, but one thing I've been wondering is, why did you not only decide to leave Idaho, but decide to leave K-12? Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I feel that, you know, I, I definitely, you know, could still be teaching K through 12 here. Um, but I felt that as long as I was, you know, taking a break from teaching, um, I would go ahead since I had earned my PhD. Um, I was kind of looking around at what my options were. And, you know, I heard about this university here and they happen to have, you know, an excellent job. And I, I knew that one of my passions um, at this point and, and kind of like what I've learned through this experience of, of being the teacher of the year is that 
teachers are in trouble. Like the teaching profession right now is in crisis. And if we do not teach our like brand new like teachers right now how to advocate for themselves about um, making choices in their classroom and feeling secure in those choices and teaching them to um, how to talk to parents and do all of those things um, before they burn out. Um, we're going to be in, in a lot of trouble. And so part of what I'm doing um, in my position as, as a professor here is I'm, I'm doing some research about how we can better help our new teachers do exactly that. Um, how do we help them um, feel secure in their choices as teachers? Um, how do we help them advocate for themselves when they go into the profession um, and get the, the benefits that they deserve? Because, you know, as we know, uh, we just found out that, you know, even in Idaho, um, teachers are still making 26% less than people who have comparable college degrees. Here in Illinois, it's 21% less. And, you know, I'm, I'm really tired of people saying, well, you knew it when you went in. That's, you know, you, you knew what you were getting into. Like, teachers can, you know, work together to, to make schools better for kids, and teachers can work together to make schools better for teachers. And that's what we have to do. And so I'm really passionate with using my position now to help teach teachers how to do that, but then also to help teachers really like do the best they can in classrooms. And I'm really excited to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think that brings up another question. If there's teachers um, who feel those pressures or feel worried to take risks in the classroom, even if it would be for, you know, follow, to follow the curriculum or for the student's best interest. Um, you know, not everybody can or will leave the state like you did. So what would you say to teachers in Idaho who might be feeling now the way that you did? It's really challenging and I understand that. Um, and what I hope that teachers in Idaho can do um, is understand that what they're doing is really important work. And what I encourage them to do is to really look carefully at the students that they have and to really think about how they can best meet their needs and to work together with the teachers in their building to um, start to develop some strategies um, with their, you know, administration in their building about how to educate parents on that. That's going to really be something that Idaho has to do better. And I also encourage um, Idaho State Board of Education, who is really passionate about parent rights, um, to also start to be passionate about having parents with those parent rights um, also work on some parental responsibilities um, to foster conversations with teachers. I think that is something that can be done from the top down. And I really hope that um, that's starting to happen at all levels. So I'm hoping that it starts with the State Board of Education. I'm hoping that our um, superintendents and our principals 
are encouraging parents to converse with their teachers and to, um, instead of knee-jerk um, removing students um, from lessons or content, um, to, to start having conversations. And I feel that that has to go hand in hand with parent choice. And so I'm really hoping that that is something that Idaho's teachers can start to um, not request, but to start to encourage, um, to encourage those relationships um, by when they talk to the State Board of Education, when they talk to their superintendents and their principals, encourage their parents um, to have conversations with the teachers as well. So you're looking at things like on a statewide level and then also on just down to the school. So for teachers at an individual school, you said work with other teachers and your principals to develop a way to educate parents. So what might that look like exactly? Like an um, assembly or like more description in your syllabus or what, what do you have in mind? Um, kind of what I would see that as is, you know, you're, you're always going to have, you know, the bulk of parents who are love their classroom teacher are so happy with what you know <laughs> occurs. And that's all great. Um, you're also going to have some parents who just are, are very like knee jerk and say like, my kid can't do that. And a lot of times, you know, we have, we have principals who I understand are, are very overworked. Um, and they have really tough jobs. And a lot of times they just say, okay, fine. Um, your kid doesn't have to do that. Like the, the, you know, we'll give them alternative assignment. It doesn't matter. Sure. Um, what I would encourage instead of that is for um, a conversation to occur. So I, I would hope that instead of just saying, sure, we'll just take your kid out of that, um, to start to have a conversation um, about, okay, well, I would love for you to come in and have a conversation with the classroom teacher and me about this. I, and I understand that that's time consuming, but I really feel um, that it's so incredibly important because of that trust relationship between the student and the teacher. Um, that is something that I am just so, so, so <laughs> um, passionate about. I, I don't think that a lot of people think about that. They just think about, you know what, it really doesn't matter if they get an alternate assignment and it really doesn't matter um, if they just sit out of the classroom during this lesson. I don't really know if they understand um, the trust that's eroded. So I hope that they would take that extra time to have that conversation to preserve that trust between the student and the teacher, mm -hmm. as well as the trust between the, the um, family and the teacher as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, a lot of school employees are really overworked, like you said, and the last thing they need is another time-consuming process on their plate. It would be a lot easier to just be conflict avoidant and say, okay, have what you want, conflict ended, instead of prolong it with conversations, discussions, meetings, but you're saying ultimately taking the long, hard, time-consuming route is better for all involved and worth the time. Yeah, and that's why, you know, it, it would be um, fantastic if Idaho had, you know, better funding. And so our, our teachers had smaller class sizes and our administrators didn't have as many students per school. Um, there's a lot that we could do to decrease the workload that our teachers have. 
And I think that if we're going to retain the best and brightest teachers in Idaho, that's something that can definitely be done. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you about after this national news came out, um, what kind of some of the feedback was that you got or the reaction, both from your new Illinois community, from your previous Idaho community, and, and any other reaction you found notable? Um, the great thing is that, you know, the people here in, in Illinois have just been completely amazing. Um, the new coworkers that I have here are just amazing. <laughs> um, they're, they're so glad that I am a strong advocate for education and that I'm, I'm really passionate about what's best for kids and what's best for teachers. Um, that has been really fantastic. Um, you know, throughout Idaho, it's kind of been a mixed bag. Um, there's been a lot of people who are like, you know, it's it's so sad um, that, you know, we, we lost a great teacher. Um, there's been a few people who are like, good riddance <laughs> to, you know, the liberals, you know, get out of here. Um, and what's surprising that there's a lot of people also who are like, um, I didn't know you were going through this. And it's, it's kind of surprising because I talked about this a lot. And um, I let a lot of people know that this, this was bothering me, but um, a lot of people just told me to, to, to ignore it or that it didn't matter and that um, they, didn't, they, they still don't really see that, that Northern Idaho especially is an, an unwelcoming place. And to that, I would say that um, for a lot of people, Northern Idaho is not an unwelcoming place. But if you're a person who is LGBTQ, or if you're a person who is, um, you know, of of any race that is that is not, you know, white, um, or if you're a person who expresses yourself in, in in any way that is is not the norm, um, it's not a welcoming place. And I believe that a lot of people who live in Idaho right now don't see that. And so they really think that Idaho is, you know, um, a super friendly, amazing, beautiful place to be. And for, for most people, I really believe that it is. Um, but to those people, I would, um, I would encourage them to step outside of their comfort zone and to, to really think about um, how Idaho is perceived by people who are other and how, how that might be challenging. Mm -hmm. And certainly those um, otherized type of people you were talking about who maybe fall outside of the status quo include students as well, young kids. And it sounds like that's part of what you were trying to do in the classroom is let those, those kids know um, there was a space for them, see themselves in what you were teaching, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that really worries me is that Idaho is one of the states with the highest youth suicide rates in the country. And when we would talk to legislators about that and, and that our, our need for social emotional learning and trauma-based practices um, was really important, um, we were told that it wasn't. And that's something that, you know, is, is really a problem in Idaho that needs to be addressed because I feel that we're not doing everything we can um, to acknowledge what is the, the actual um, truth of, of our, our high schoolers' um, realities. And that um, we're not from elementary school 
to our middle schools, to our high schools, um, reflecting who these students really are. I think a lot of times, um, not only are the parents, but also some of the teachers are telling students who they want them to be, not who they really are. And by, you know, having our high schools say like, no teachers, you can't have um, a ally, you know, sticker in your classroom. And no, you can't have, you know, something in your classroom that says you can talk to me, you know, with, you know, um, uh, Black Lives Matter or something like that. Um, when you tell teachers that you, they can't do that, which is absolutely the truth in most of our districts in Idaho, um, it really takes away from many students' abilities to know that they're seen. And to me, that, that's, that's really sad. We've been talking a lot about this situation specific to Idaho because we are Idaho Education News, of course, but I wanna broaden this conversation out a bit to the national level. Do you think what's happening in Idaho with the political climate um, is mirrored other places in the nation or do you think Idaho's an outlier? Well, there's other states definitely that are, are like Idaho. Um, for example, like here in Illinois, um, some of those policies, like you can't have ally stickers and stuff like that, um, that's not true here. You know, you absolutely as an educator can do those things for students. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it really does depend um, on your state. And so I, I feel that, you know, um, that's kind of one of the things that, you know, even as I've, I've spoken with um, different media outlets around the world um, is one of the things that is really um, unique to the United States is for many different countries, um, a lot of the policies are nationwide. And in our nation, um, it's very state-based and even district-based um, for you know, each unique district. And so the way that our students are treated and the access to resources that they have is it really boils down to the local level. And I feel that, you know, um, it, for a lot of students, um, whether or not their experience is validated, um, boils down to the political climate of their state. And so, and that's something that is 100% out of a child's control. And to me, that's something that, um, you know, it's really unfortunate because it does, I believe, a lot of times lead students to um, have depression um, or like lead to self-harm or things like that. And if you look at where these policies are, and if you look at the rates of, you know, negative outcomes for students, um, you know, they're, they're pretty, pretty, you know, aligned. Mm -hmm. So last question here, and then we'll kind of wrap up, but I'm curious about the, the state of mind of your current students who are planning to become educators. What are they feeling right now about teaching? Like you mentioned how there's low pay, there's all these extra stressors. Are your students like energized and optimistic? Are they worried about it? Do they know about your personal experiences? Um, one of the things is that 
you know, when I talk to my students, um, you know, they are excited about becoming teachers. And it's something that they've always felt that um, they would be good at. And it's something that they're really excited to do. Um, many of them say, and this breaks my heart every time I hear it, is that they do not talk to friends and family about wanting to be a teacher. And the reason they don't do that is because they're excited about the things that they do in the classroom. They're excited about every time they intern and a kid lights up when they teach them something new. But every time they talk to their mom or their dad or their aunt or their best friend um, or their significant other about teaching, they say, oh my gosh, why do you want to be a teacher? Like, oh, that sucks. Like, they, you know, don't you know that you could make so much more money doing something else? Like, don't you know that, you know, you could, you know, have such higher quality of life doing something else? And every time these students talk about the great things that they do in education, somebody knocks them down by disparaging education and talking poorly about educators. Or they say like, oh, I had a teacher once that was like so terrible or, you know what I mean, or something like that. And, and it immediately just like breaks their heart. And, and that's something that I wish that as a country, um, we could do better. And I, everybody has a teacher who was amazing to them. And everybody has a teacher who did fantastic things in the classroom. And, you know, when you say like, oh, well, teachers don't make any money. Like, is that okay? Like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? like to change that? Like, are you willing to vote for people who are, who are going to change that? Are you still voting for people? Like a lot of people that I absolutely love will still vote for people who like will never make it better for teachers. You know what I mean? So I, I think that that's one thing is that these, these students are so excited, but people are telling them that it's a terrible career. And so you know, I, I really hope that when people talk about being a teacher, people say, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for helping students. Like, what a great way to spend your life. Like, that you're sharing your intelligence, your passion, you know, with, with youth. Like, what a fantastic thing to do. Like, changing that mindset about education, I think, would, would do wonders for the people going into education today. Mm -hmm. We've talked about a lot of heavy stuff today and difficult topics, and I imagine it would be easy in your shoes to feel weighted down by it. So how do you stay energized and optimistic and hopeful for the future of education? Because I absolutely believe that every kid deserves an amazing teacher. And I have felt that way like since the day I walked into a classroom. And I have worked in some really tough classes, you know, um, I, I absolutely love what I do. I always tell the student teachers I work with, this is a hard job. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but it's also, um, you know, you will always feel like you're making a difference. And, you know, I, I as I walk around my community and I look at kids, um, I know that every single one of them, my son included, deserves people in front of them every single day who are making them better people. And so I know that as a country, 
um, we can we can do better. We can always do better to um, make our next generation of teachers um, feel more valued and um, pay them what they're worth and do a much better job to um, encourage more people into the profession so that we have um, professionals teaching our children who um, are going to bring out the very best in them. And I will never not believe that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you would like to add before we wrap up? Um, I would just like every, every teacher who is listening to know that I appreciate you and that what you do in the classroom every single day is nothing short of magic. And um, in those days where you feel that, you know, you're not making a difference, um, you absolutely made the difference in not only the life of a child, but in a coworker's life. And that, um, you know, you are, are doing the best work and that you are appreciated and that you're amazing and keep up the good work. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Karen. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Carly. And that's a wrap. Special thanks to Karen for joining us all the way from Decatur. And thanks to you all for listening to another episode of The Teacher's Lounge. And don't forget to go to idahoednews.org for all the latest. Have a great week. <laughs>